Well, good morning and happy new year. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. And uh, it's great to be starting this Gospel of Mark. If you've never read any part of the Bible before, Mark would probably be the number one place I'd tell you to go and read. So if you haven't read the Bible or you haven't read uh, uh, you know, the Bible for a while, why don't you start in Mark? Um, it's a great book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray as we jump in and let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at the Gospel of Mark this morning, the, the first chapter, as we read this and study this over the next 16 weeks up to Easter, that you would give us this great picture of Jesus, a picture of Jesus that stirs our souls, that helps us to see what is real and what is not in this world, a, a picture of Jesus that we can not only be encouraged by but be inspired by, inspired to love you and live for you for all our days. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things I love to do to kind of unwind is to watch kind of funny things on YouTube, whether it be stand-up comedy or little skits. And one skit I found is very funny is, is one thing that's not working, is Tom Hanks on... Uh, Saturday Night Live, right? I'm not, I'm not sure if you know what Saturday Night Live is. It's the, like this kind of skit show in the States. It's uh, on Saturday and it's live, hence the t- phrase Saturday Night Live. Now, on one particular show, Saturday, uh, uh, Tom Hanks is the compare. And he is, on this one show, in this one skit, a cliched Trump supporter. And he is on a kind of TV game show called Black Jeopardy, where it's all about kind of questions about the black community or questions, uh, you know, answers that a typical or a cliched person in the black community would give. And why it's funny is that Tom Hanks's character, Doug, answers a bunch of different questions and he gets them all right to the surprise of everyone everyone in the audience. For example, one of the things that that comes up is they out here saying that every vote counts. Doug, or Tom Hanks' character, buzzes in and he says, what is, we all know that they had decided all the election before anything had ever happened. And everyone goes, yes, that's right, that's right. Because one of the things in uh, the cliché Trump supporter, but also in the cliché black community, is this idea that there's a group of people that are actually behind everything, that are kind of controlling the whole world. And actually, that idea has been coming up more and more and more. 20 years ago, if you, if you believed in conspiracy theories, you were one of about 5% of the, of the population. Now you're one of 35% of the population. And in, in the Christian circles, we see a bunch of people believing in conspiracy theories all the time. I've got a friend who uh, puts all these pictures like these up on Facebook all the time. And in them, he sees... Like there's this kind of world behind, like like there's these people behind the world and they're controlling everything. So you've got the Bilderberg Group or you've got, you know, I think there's a picture of the American um, money there and you you can see a new world order in that. 
and you see like these famous people doing these things and they're meant to mean something or that kind of thing. And this is on the rise more and more and more. Before COVID, the average, uh, 25% of people believe in conspiracy theories. Now it's 35% and it's growing. Because I think we have a look at our world and we see that actually it's really this, this jumbled mess. And what we want to know is, we want to know, is there a plan behind it all? Is there a, a group of people that is running the world? We want, we want the curtains of our world to be opened and for us to see what's really going on in the world. Well, here's the great news today. This is exactly what Mark does in Mark chapter 1. He, he throws back the curtains of our world and says, this is actually what's going on. And it's not a bunch of really rich white guys in a room somewhere controlling everything. No, it's actually far more fantastic than that and actually far scarier on one level than that too. And the question is this. When you, are, when you are shown what is really happening in the world, when you, are, when you can really see what is actually controlling our world, what are you going to do? Which side are you going to choose? As we look at our passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the dance, the drama, and the decision. The dance, the drama, and the decision. So let's have a look at our first point, the dance. I want, to have, uh, I want you to have a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1 with me. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and it goes on. Well, Mark starts off his gospel with this proclamation that this is great news. The, the word for good news is the word where we get the word gospel from. And this is a word that was very common for emperors in the Roman world to use. They would say, gospel, gospel, we have won, we have won. This is great news. And, and yet what, what Mark is saying here is actually he's got better news. Better news than any emperor could give. This is the best news ever. And what is this news? It, it's about a person. It's about Jesus who is the Messiah. The word Messiah basically meant that, that Jesus is the king of Israel, the king of the world, God's appointed king. Not only is he the Messiah, the king, but did you see who he is also? The son of God. Many uh, emperors in Roman times would call themselves the son of God. But here Mark is saying this guy is the son of God. He is divine. So here is Jesus, the one who is the king of the universe. But not only that, he is God walking in the flesh. And we actually see, uh, we see this kind of identity actually fleshed out a bit more in verse 9. Have a look at it with me. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here you see the three people of the Godhead. Very clearly you see the Son being baptized. 
You, you hear the Father speaking from heaven. You, you, you see the Spirit coming down on him like a dove. That word dove is kind of a strange word, isn't it? And yet, if you're a first century Jewish person reading that, who was kind of knowledgeable with how the rabbis taught the first chapter of Genesis, you would know that Mark is actually getting you to think way back to the first chapter of the Bible, to Genesis 1, where God's Spirit hovers over the waters and in some translations or some commentaries from the rabbis in the first century, he hovered over the waters like a dove. Here what Mark is saying is this, just as the Father, the Son and the Spirit were there when the world was created and even before that, here the Father, the Son and the Spirit are working together to redeem the world. That the Father, the Son and the Spirit all work together. And notice how the Father, the Son and the Spirit actually are pointing to each other. Have a look once again in verse 11. Sorry, verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice who is speaking, the Father is speaking from heaven, he says, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So here we see the Spirit descending on the Son. The Father declaring his love for the Son. And what you'll see throughout Mark's gospel, in fact, throughout the whole New Testament, is the Son points back to the Father. Even before the creation of the world, the members of the Trinity weren't pointing to themselves. But it's the Spirit's job to eternally point to the Son. It, it is the, the Father's job to send the, the, the Son and the Spirit into the world. It, it, it is the Son's job to glorify the Father by coming to earth to die. And all through this, what we see is each of them are loving each other. One of the things that, our, that the Bible says is that God is love. How can we say that God is love? God is love because before the creation of the world, he is in community where the three members of the Trinity are all loving each other. And there's a sense in which, uh, you know, some theologians call this a dance, that, that the members of the Trinity are dancing as they kind of love each other. And can I just say, I spent about two hours this week trying to find a good illustration of dancing, and I'm terrible at dancing. So I found a better illustration uh, from basketball, right? Now, one of the things I love to see is my team, the Golden State Warriors. I love one particular player, and this guy, his name is Steph Curry, right? Here's why I love him. Not only is he the greatest shooter of all time, but he is so selfless. So this photo up the top, you see him high-fiving his teammate, Clay Thompson, this is when Clay Thompson beat Steph Curry, beat him at a three-point shooting contest at the All-Star Game. And who was cheering most? Who was the first one to congratulate his teammate? It was Steph Curry. Who was the most excited? It was Steph Curry. When Kevin Durant 
This guy, number 35, came to the Golden State Warriors. Who gave up his shots, his time for his friend, for his uh, teammate, for Kevin Durant? It was Steph Curry. When Kevin Durant won the MVP twice of the finals, the most valuable player, who was the one who was most happy? Who was the one who was most cheering? It was Steph Curry. You see, what Steph Curry does always is, because he loves his teammates, he's always pointing to them. He's always building them up. He's always pointing the attention to them, not to himself. The people of the, the, the members of the Trinity are doing the same thing. Because of their great love for each other, they are not going, hey, aren't I great? They're pointing outwardly. They're pointing to each other out of great love. Now, you're probably going, man, Hans, I spent all this time last night kind of trying to stay awake for, for the, uh, for the you know, fireworks. I've had a really tough Christmas. It was really tiring. Why go on and talk about Christmas? Oh, sorry, why talk about this Trinity stuff, all this kind of stuff? Because I want you to see what is actually the heart of the universe. At the heart of the universe is a triune God who is love. And therefore, what is at the heart of the universe? It is love. And what should be at the heart of your universe? Isn't it love? Shouldn't it be love? Shouldn't one of your greatest resolutions this, this year be, how do I love God more and how do I love my fellow man more? Because that's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12. He is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, sorry, there's no commandment greater than these. How are you going to love God more this year? How are you going to love your fellow man better this year? Because at the heart of the universe is a loving community, God. And not only that, this is the God who decided to come to earth for you. And notice, have a look in verse 2 with me for a second. It, it, there it is, got a quote from Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Have you ever thought, why do they quote the Old Testament all the way through the Gospels? There's many different reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is to, is to show that God himself has got a plan, has had a plan. God had planned before the creation of the world to create the world, to save the world, to come into the world to display his great love for you. And what we're going to see in the rest of the Gospel of Mark is God himself through Jesus loving you, loving the world by saving it. And so I ask you once again, have you got a plan to grow in your love of Jesus this year, your love of God this year? Have you got a plan for how you're going to love others more this year? 
Because we love God and other people first because the triune God who is love loved us first, loved you before the creation of the world. That's the dance of the Trinity. It's a dance of love. But there's also the drama. And I wonder if you saw the drama. There's drama all the way through this chapter. But there's particular drama I want want to show you. Have a look at verse 12 with me. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. Satan, the great deceiver, is trying to tempt Jesus. And we see in Matthew's gospel uh, that, that he's trying to tempt Jesus to believe his lies over God's truth. His lies over God's truth. And, and, and we read in verses 21 to 27 that Jesus confronts a man with an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. He is the drama. Forget about is there a new world order or anything like that. No, here's the drama. There is Satan and he is trying to help us or make us believe his lies and not God's truth. That's what he's been doing from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And he's been saying that to us ever since. Did God really say? But some of us are going, oh, come on, we can't be talking about Satan nowadays. It's a bit of a joke. I remember talking, uh, when I first came here, I met up with a pastor in the area. He was a pastor who was more liberal. He didn't really believe the Bible. And we, we got to talking and... You know, I talked about spiritual warfare, and he goes, oh, "Man, wait to stop! Are you telling me you believe in Satan?" And I said, "Yeah," and he kind of laughed because Satan nowadays is a bit of a joke, isn't he? And you see this in popular culture. One of my favorite TV shows, maybe you'll judge me for this, is, is South Park, and, and, and you see Satan in South Park who's the lover of the now-dead Saddam Hussein, and he's a bit of a wimp. He's a wuss. You know, in 2016, ACDC played, uh, opened up the Grammys with their iconic song, Highway to Hell, and you saw Katy Perry and all these famous people screaming at the top of their lungs, wearing horns, I'm on the highway to hell, I'm on the highway to hell, and having the best time. It was kind of like this huge joke. And maybe you're here and you're going, well, hands, oh, you know, this whole, whole Satan thing is a huge joke. Well, have a listen to what Andrew Del, Andrew Del Bonco says. He is an atheist. But here's what he says about evil. A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. Never before have the images of horror been so widely disseminated, widely disseminated and so appalling from organized death camps to children starving in famines that might have been averted. Rarely does a week go by without a newspaper and television accounts of teenagers performing contract killings for a few dollars, women murdered on the street for their purses or their furs, 
young men shot in the head for the keys to their Jeep, and these are only the domestic bulletins. The repertoire of evil has never been richer, yet never have our responses been so weak. We have no language for connecting our inner lives with the horrors that pass before our eyes in the outer world. He goes on to say that one of our problems in our world is that we have basically killed Satan. We have dealt with, dealt with evil and Satan in such a way that we say there's no evil in Satan and then we're confronted with it all the time. I don't know if you ever watch, watch TV and you are so overcome with the evil that comes through TV or social media. You see, you see the pictures that are coming onto our screens. How can you explain that without a great evil in the world? The Bible calls that great evil Satan. And in fact, isn't it true that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist? And yet, I think if we're real about our world, we have to see that there's great evil out there. But also, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to believe the Bible... Jesus was a man who battled Satan. Satan is all the way through the Bible. There's all this spiritual warfare all through the Bible. And so this world is actually a battleground. What we see this in the first few verses of the Gospel of Mark. Satan is there and Jesus is battling against him. And, and in fact, there's a sense in which when Jesus is healing, he is reversing the destruction that Satan, sin and death has brought to our world. That is actually what he's doing. And, and notice how, how Satan and his demons know the truth. Have a look at verse 24. This is, this is a demon speaking. Speaking to Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it amazing? All throughout the Gospels, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And yet they are still in rebellion against him. Our oh, friends, one of the things that as we come to this new year, let's not be ignorant. Let's not, not be mocking what the Bible says is true, that our world is a spiritual bat battleground. And the question is, are we going to believe the lies of Satan or the truth of God? Are we going to believe the lies of Satan or the truth of God? God says this world, this universe is all about love, love for him and love for our neighbor. And yet I think Satan may be saying to so many of us, he going, oh, actually, that's not true. Your, your life is about your career or your job or your money or whatever. See, here's what Satan is not going to do. He's not going to tempt you with something that's ridiculous to you. He's not going to give you a temptation that, that you just go, oh, come on. No, he's going to play with what he's got. He's going to tempt you. He's going to find your deepest desires. 
And he's going to say, that's what's ultimate. He's going to say, did God really say? This week I, I had four pastoral conversations. All of them. We talked about spiritual warfare. All of them, I said to, to the person, it sounds like Satan is whispering in your ear and saying, did God really say? When you are being tempted, it is Satan saying, did God really say? Did God really say that you need to stay with that person and keep your marriage vows? When that other person is so, they just get you more? Did God really say that you have to be generous with your money when you can just spend it on yourself? Did God really say that you have to order your time around, you know, church and growth group and all that? Did God really say that? That it's Satan subtly coming to war against you and God's spirit that lives in you. And so what are you going, what are you going to do? You're going to trust Jesus. Our first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, God said to them, do not, do not eat from this tree. When Jesus comes to this earth, God said to him, go to this tree and die. Unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus obeyed. And therefore, when Jesus dies for you, you know he's got your best interest at heart. So that's why you can believe his word over Satan's lies. Is there drama in this world? Absolutely. But who are you going to trust? Jesus or the lies of Satan? That's the drama that's going on in our world and in this passage. And finally... There's a decision. There's actually decision language all the way through. Have a look at verse 14 with me. It says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is, is, is come near, he's saying God is showing that he is king. And Jesus is going to show that he is the king by dying and rising again. And so what should you do? It's that word repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means basically to chuck a yui, right? It means that your, your, your life is going one way for you are living for yourself. But what Jesus says is repentance means to turn around and live for him. I mean, that's, that, that's really hard, isn't it? But it actually gets harder. Have a look at verse 16 with me. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. They gave up their whole lives to follow Jesus. And Mark puts this in to say this is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's not just about, you know, getting Jesus and having a bit more of a pep in your life, having a bit more spiritual upkeep in your life. 
following Jesus is, is not just about, you know, coming together as a community just so you can get a bit of inspiration for your week. Following Jesus is not an add-on to your life. It's meant to be the center point of your life. It's not a something. It is an everything. But, but, but hands, that sounds so fanatical. You're, you're saying I'm meant to give up my whole life for Jesus? That just sounds a bit, bit crazy, a, a bit fanatical. I remember when I, when I first became a Christian, and uh, you're going to be very surprised about this. When I, when I first became a Christian, I was fairly aggressive with my faith, which uh, very confrontational with my faith, which those of you who know me are very surprised. Of course you're not, right? And um, my dad, who wasn't a Christian at that time, kind of, uh, we had some massive fights around Christianity. And I can remember having this conversation uh, about, you know, about not going out and getting drunk and doing all these things. And he says, oh, you know what, that's, that's what teenagers do. And I said, no, I want to follow the Lord Jesus. Which is ironic at the time because, you know, I may not have been going out to, uh, to parties and stuff like that, but I wasn't cleaning my room, so I wasn't honouring my parents, so I needed to grow in that area. But I was having this conversation, right? And my dad said, are you saying that Jesus is everything to you? I said, yeah. He goes, that's fanatical. That's fanatical. That's crazy. And I, and I went away going, man, I don't know what to say to this. And I dare say some of you guys have found that point where you go, man, like, I'm giving up my life and my, my friends and family, they just don't get it. I feel like this weird, crazy fundamentalist that, that's like a fanatic. Why would you do that? And some of you guys are here going, man, I admire Jesus, but giving up my whole life for him, that just seems crazy. It's not crazy when you realize how much he loves you and what he's done for you. Because love makes people do crazy things. Last year, I was uh, in my favorite uh, guitar store, and uh, I was just looking at some guitars and, and that kind of thing and talking with some of the guys in there who are great guys, and out of the blue, I hear, oh, hands, how you doing? And I turn around, and, and you ever seen someone that you know, you, you know you know them, but they've changed their appearance? This happened. I was like, oh, yeah, hi. And he, goes, and he goes, Greg. And I was like, um, yeah. He goes, we played in that band. I played drums, blah, blah, blah. Remember, I had tats. I was like, Greg. You know, and what you've got to realize is that when I played in this band with Greg, is he had two sleeves of tats. He had like earrings everywhere, nose rings, everything, right? And he had none of that. And he was, he was buttoned up. He looked like, you know, a soccer dad or something like that. And uh, he had two sons with him. And I said, what happened? What happened? Like, you just changed. Like, what? I haven't seen him in 15 years. What happened? And he goes, I met a girl. He said, I played a gig, man, and it was at a wedding. And one of the bridesmaids is so beautiful. I spoke to her during two of the sets. And, and we were talking. We, got, we hit it off. And then after the wedding, it was, it was on a beach. Uh, we just kind of spent the whole night walking up and down the beach, just talking all night. And then when we got back to Sydney, we, we, we talked 
We talked and we talked we on, on a few dates. And out of the blue, I hadn't kissed her, I hadn't held her hand, hands. Um, I just said, I, I love you. And she was shocked and I was just as shocked. And then she said, we can't go on. But because you've got this lifestyle which is about drinking and drugs and partying. I don't want that. I had that in a previous boyfriend. There's no way my dad would look at, you know, basically how you look and give you the time of day. And my dad is very important to me. If you, so you love me, we've got to stop this now. And after that, he just walked around the streets of Sydney all night and he made a decision to change. He called her up and he said, give me a week. He sold two of his drum kits, which were worth a lot of money, and he got his both sleeves of his tattoos lasered off, which he said was like getting flicked with hot oil over and over again. Took out all of his, uh, you know earrings and everything. He went to AA and he went to NA and didn't touch anything since. He was transformed by love and yet his friends and his family didn't get it. They just thought he went crazy. He would say, no, I got sane because I experienced true love. So giving up your life to follow Jesus is worth it because of his great love for you. When you realise what he has done for you, you will give it up joyfully. And what you'll find out is you haven't gone crazy, you've actually gone totally sane. Because at the, at the heart of the universe is, is, not, is not you and your ambitions or what our world says. At the heart of the universe is a God who is in community who is in a loving community, who has shown that great love to you by sending Jesus to die for you. He defeated Satan for you. He took the punishment for your sin on himself because he loves you. When you know great love like that, that is when you'll be able to say to Jesus, my whole life is yours. Are you able to say that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that, that the love that you have within the Trinity has, has spilled out into this world, not only in creation, but in Jesus coming to die for us. Lord, help us this year to love you more and to love other people more because of your love shown to us. Lord Jesus, help us not to disregard what you say or how you lived. Help us to realize that there, that there is an adversary in our world, that there is Satan and there is spiritual warfare. But Lord, help us to believe your truth over his lies. And Father God, help us to give up our lives 
everything in our lives for the Lord Jesus because of the great love that he has shown to us. Help us not only to repent and believe, but to leave everything and follow you. Amen.